by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Guy. Good to see you at church today. You're at the right place. God loves you dearly. He's got a plan for your life. He's not mad at you. He's ready to get us in gear and get us on towards our purpose and promise in this life. And this is the, the filling station. This is where you come, you get filled up with his love, you get filled up with his purpose, and you go out into the world and make a difference. So you're at the right place today. Who was it just said, uh, Brother Chad said he felt like all week long that God was going to do something special here today. And I believe it too. I believe he'll do something special if you come expecting today. Any Sunday that you come expecting, God's going to meet you right there with your expectation. You know what faith does? It brings the promises of God down to earth. Makes them a reality in our life. So be expecting big things today. Today, we're going to have a new membership ceremony. That's always a good time where we welcome some new people into the, the household of God here at Passion Church. In fact, let me read you a scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Apostle Paul's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. Say the household of God. I want you to help me preach today, okay? The household of God. It says, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Some people don't think church is very important these days. Some people could care less about church membership. But I think that's the wrong attitude. Jesus says, I will build my church. <clears throat> That's what he's doing here on the earth. And if we don't get with the program, then we're getting left behind. A lot of people think they can have a relationship with Jesus but hate his bride. I don't know how that works. But I see, I, I've read this scripture because it says, in the household of God. Now, when I think about a household, I think about a family. I think about loved ones. I think about chores and responsibilities. Uh-oh. I think about the bills got to get paid in the household, right? <clears throat> Somebody got to take out the garbage. There's a lot of work to do in the, to keep the household, but how nice is it to come home? I mean, you can go on the best vacation ever, but you can't wait to get home. There's something about home, isn't it? And we have some people today that have gone through our Next Step program and they have decided that they want to be part of this household, this body of Christ. And, and the Bible says that God sets us in the household that he determines is best for us, that where we fit. And we're excited that God is doing that for this couple today. Now, they've made some commitments to the Passion Church, and I like to read these off. They have confessed that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Always a good idea to get saved before you join a church. <laughs> they said, I will strive to live by the teachings of the Bible. So they're, they're trying to live according to the scriptures with what they know. They said they will support the Passion Church with their prayers, with their presence, with their resources, and with their service. All those things are needed in the household of God. And if some of you are, are feeling weary and well-doing, so to speak, it's probably because you're pulling more than your share of weight in the household of God, and others are not. So we try to keep it fair in the household. You know, a good parent in the household is going to say, he's not going to let one child 
do nothing and then another child have to do all the, cover all the bases, right? So that's why we have the Next Step program. We learn how to, to play well with each other, how to, to live in the household of God where we all pull our weight. And, and so they've made these commitments to the house here. And that's exciting because we need more people pulling the weight in the house of God. And finally, they've dedicated that they will follow and uh, support, be supportive of the leadership of Passion Church because, you know, everything Jesus does is a has a structure of authority. You know, even Jesus submitted to the Father. So those are important things. And so when, they, when I call them up, I want you to honor them for making this pledge to the Passion Church. Now, what are we going to pledge to them? That we love them, that we will help them in any way we can with their spiritual, natural growth. We will be supportive of them, that we are adopting them into the family of God. We will nurture and protect them as our very own. They're family, and we will treat them as such. So I want you, as they, if I call their name, I want you to give them a big round of applause First, come up and get your diploma and be welcomed in, Mr. Wesley Adams. <laughs> Thank you. Stand right there, Wesley. And we're not going to forget <laughs> Miss Rachel Adams. <laughs> the household will never be the same. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. That's good. They have many gifts and passions, and I've, you know, we've known them a long time, but I got to know them better during the, the Next Step program, and I'm very excited uh, to see what God does in their life. Let me pray over them. I'd like you to stretch your hands forward and believe God with me. Father, we just lift up this beautiful couple to you, that they, they understand what a beautiful thing they have committed to, your household that they will be an active part, they will find their purpose and plan in you, and Lord, that they will find the love and acceptance that they need, and their children will grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord here, Father, that they will, they will flourish in the household of God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, before I let them go, there's a, uh, where's the, somebody steal the microphone? Okay. There is one little announcement that I'm going to let Wesley make. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so um, most of you may know Isabella. Um, Mr. Tom calls her Hoppy. Uh, yeah, because she's always bouncing around full of joy. But um, we actually may have a second hoppy on the way, so. <laughs> now that's how you grow the church of God. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just want to thank all of you for helping us to feel loved, welcome, and accepting us into the family. There's no other feeling like it, so thank you. Love y'all, y'all. Y'all be seated. All right, so for 20 years, the microphone has been right here. Today, somebody's pulling a prank on me. <laughs> All right, before we go any further, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but probably about one-third of the people in here have been life group leader trained. Okay, so where are y'all at? You remember we talked about a household? I have in my hand a life group leader letter of intent that I'm going to lead a life group this semester. Me and Angie have been leading the life groups for like four semesters in a row because somebody else ain't stepping up and doing their chores in the household of God. You are needed, and your development depends on you answering the call that God has on your life. So, come sign it, somebody. Thank you, Ms. Brenda.
Sometimes somebody needs a little prodding. Let me go get my iron. <laughs> Who else? Just put your name right there. That'll be good enough. Who else? Mm -hmm. I would like to say something, Hold on, let me give you this. For those of you that are, for those of y'all that are hesitant, it ain't about us. It's just about us being willing. You know. If he's got just a willing vessel, I told Pastor just now, I got one of them at home. <laughs> but anyway, I just felt like I should let y'all know. It's not about what we possess when we hold these groups. Thank you. It's what we're willing to let him do through us and through the people that are coming with us to learn about us, each other, and form us as a family together. I know I've got physical, for those of you who think, well, I'm not spiritually or I'm not physically strong enough, you know, I may have a problem. Well, if you'll step out, if we will just step out, he'll be our strength. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> I know some of you uh, need to pray. And, you know, I'll put you on the spot. And if you change your mind later, just let me know. But I wanted to make a point. We are a household of God. And some of y'all know how to lead life groups and you just don't want to. And so... That, that ain't a good excuse. We all got to do things we don't want to in the house of God sometime if we're going to keep the vision going, right? Me and Angie led it four times in a row now. We're not leading it this time. And if we don't have any life group leaders, we just won't have life groups. <clears throat> all right, let's pray because I need it. <clears throat> Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We believe in the purpose that you've given us. We believe these banners are ours and our responsibility, Father. Thank you for that. We take our responsibility and we step into the plan. Father, I believe when we step, take a step towards your plan that you take a step towards us. You meet us at the point of our need. You will meet our needs according to your riches and glory. You will supply us with the time and the resources and the effort that, that we need to accomplish all that you've set us to do. That We're in a race here, Lord. Help us to, to remember who we are and whom we serve. Lord, open our eyes today. Open our eyes and show us what you would have us, have us do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've been in a series entitled Living Out Your Faith in a Hostile World. And we've talked about, well, we need faith. You know, God's not pleased without faith, and without faith, we're not going to get much done. We need to be, be in faith. Secondly, we need to have hope. We talked about that last week. Hope is the anchor of our soul. It keeps us grounded even when things aren't going our way, right? So there's faith, there's hope. What's that other one? What, what could we, what do y'all want to talk about today? Oh, y'all want to talk about love? Well, good, that's what I, my sermon's about. <laughs> faith, hope, and love. Well, that worked out good, I'm glad. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. 
For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, you didn't get there by the works of the flesh. You didn't earn it. There's nothing you can snip off or add to, you know, that got you in the deal. That doesn't mean anything. But what, what counts? But. But only faith activated and expressed and working through love. We're going to talk about love. We got to know the importance of love. Only faith, faith is activated, it is expressed, and it works. How? Through love. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but faith doesn't work without. What is the underlying power of God, do you suppose? It's love. God doesn't really need faith. We do. But the power of God is love. I'll tell you all the time, I, I walk that street back there. It's a quiet street, and I'll jump the ditch and walk and pray. And sometimes I walk five or six times up and down that street praying and when it's good weather. The other day I was walking and uh, I looked down at the end of the street down there and it looked like a car had pulled over. I didn't know if they was eating their lunch or whatever, to, but there was unusual to have a car pa parked on the side of the road because there's usually no cars hardly at all. But I'm walking towards them and I see as I get closer, there's a flat tire. I said, oh, they've had a flat. I thought to myself, well, I should, you know, probably see if I can help because they're sitting in the car and Nobody's getting out or anything. Maybe they don't know how to change a tire. Maybe I can help. But as I got closer, I saw the person see me, and then I could see them getting on their phone, you know, trying not to make eye contact. And I thought to myself, well, he's on the phone. He's probably calling his roadside assistance. You know, everybody's got roadside assistance these days. He's probably got somebody on the way. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to stop. So I kind of went on by, and I tried to make eye contact, but he wouldn't do it. He's looking on his phone a young kid, you know, probably in his teens, it looked like. I walked by, walked back down the street, and he's still not making eye contact. I come back the next time. He's still there. Nobody's come to help him. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I will ask him. Maybe he's just shy. And I get up closer. He leans the seat back and lays down like he's got to take a nap. You know, he's, I'm sure he's just tired at this point. So he's laying down, you know, and I'm thinking, he really don't want to be bothered, you know. Maybe I shouldn't interrupt him, you know. He's got a, his, he's rolled his window halfway up just enough to get some air to breathe. And he don't want me messing with him. So I walk past, walk back down the street. You say, well, this is the boringest story I've ever heard, Pastor. <laughs> and it is. It's a, this is. I'm just going to tell you on the front end, this story doesn't get any better. This is a boring story. So I'm walking back the third time, and I'm like, I got to say something. This is, you know, 30 minutes later. It takes me a long time to walk up and down the street. This guy ain't got nobody coming or something. He's shy. I don't know what he's doing. It's hot out here, you know. He's got the window rolled up halfway. He's probably sweating. And uh, so I got there. But er I want to tell you, every thought in the world came to me why I shouldn't say something. Well, it'd be awkward. He don't want me to talk to him. He's got roadside assistance. Nobody wants that anymore. He's going to think I'm trying to get him. He's going to think I'm a predator. He's going to think this, 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 and this. And every reason in the world I could think of was going through my mind. I don't want to interrupt anybody. I don't want to be rude. I don't want him to think this, think that. Finally, I just thought to myself, hey! I didn't even actually think it to myself. I said it out loud. <laughs> And he looked over, and I said, you need some help? And you, would you believe what he said? He said, no, I got it. I told you, it's a boring story. <laughs> He's at church. No, I'm just kidding. There's, there's not a good end to this story. He said, no, I don't need your help. I'm fine. And I started to walk off, and I thought to myself, He's just saying that. He's trying to be polite. And I turned, and I said, hey! You sure? He said, no, I'm good. 
I said, okay. So I just kept, continued on walking. And guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing. This is the boringest story. Did I tell y'all this is a boring story? But Jesus told a story about a good Samaritan. And he said that this Jewish fellow was going from Jerusalem, walking down to Jericho on the road. He got in with some robbers, and they took his money and beat him and left him for dead in the side of the road. And it said a priest walked by. And when he saw the man laying there bleeding, he thought to himself, well, I'm sure he has roadside assistance. I'm sure, you know, he he doesn't want me interfering in his business. So it says he walked by on the other side of the road. I'm sure as to not to go against societal norms. So he walked by. And then it says a temple assistant, another guy that worked in the church, walked by and saw him and said the same thing and walked by on the other side of the road and just left him there. But it was a despised Samaritan that the Jews hated, the Samaritan. He went over. He said, let me help you, brother. He bandaged up his wounds and took care of him, helped him up on his own donkey, and and let him ride the donkey to the Motel 6, and then got him a room and paid for it and said, you know, if if he has to stay here any longer, I'll pay you more when I get back. And Jesus said, which one of these do you suppose was a neighbor to the man? It was the Samaritan, obviously. And what did Jesus say? Go and do likewise. That's what Jesus wants us to do. To do the awkward stuff. The world's not going to do it. But you know what? That's what sets us apart. That's what gives us a voice into the lives of the unbelievers. That, that, That just sets up the soapbox for us to tell them about Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did for me. Amen? But what about the priest and the temple assistant that didn't stop? Well, they will, maybe they could have helped the guy. Maybe, they, maybe the, the guy needed help with his flat. We don't know. If they would have walked by, they don't know. They wouldn't have said anything. But you know, when I came back to the church that day, at least I can say, I, I asked. I reached out. Amen? So I had peace in my heart about stepping out. So go and do likewise. My question is, are we willing to let our lives be interrupted for someone else? It's a a world that's busy. Busy, busy, busy bees. Acronym for busy, being under Satan's yoke. Busy, busy, busy. We're just going all the time. Well, I would have stopped and asked the guy, did he need any help? But I'm on my way to somewhere. I got to be. I don't have any extra money. I barely making my own bills. I can't think about somebody else right now. I think that might be why God's whole thing is to, to say he, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free to what? Free from the encumbrance. Free from the, the bondage of having to have and to, to stay up with the Joneses and to be so involved in this world and not be involved in the things of heaven. We're ambassadors we're down here but we're not from here we should live free and and not be encumbered with a bunch of stuff that we can't take with us when we go the thing we can take with us when we go is the souls of people we loved so it's our job to be interrupted (laughs) isn't it so next time you know you did do something for somebody. You brought them to lunch or something. You asked how they're doing. You took time to give somebody a call or whatever you did. I know it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. Why? Why does it make you feel good, do you suppose? 
Because deep down, you know, when you did it for the least of these, you're doing it for Jesus. And we're supposed to do everything as if unto the Lord. It's our job. And when you do something that makes you feel good, it's your job. It's your, that is your purpose. And nothing makes you feel better than knowing you're stepping into who you were called to be. That's the fulfillment you're looking for. You're not going to find it because you got a raise or you got a promotion or because you got a new car or a new set of golf clubs. Your fulfillment is not in things. But your fulfillment is found in love. Faith activated by love. I'm preaching real good. What if it cost you? Well, give and it shall be given back unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give unto your bosom. It may seem like you don't have it. That's because you're being stingy with everything. And you're not going to get more than barely enough if you're being stingy. But if you're willing to give of yourself and give of your possessions and give of your time, then you will be given back. Then you will begin to live the life of more. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. What do you think he was talking about? We're just all going to be rich and comfortable? No. We're going to be given and satisfied. We're going to be like a water hose, well watered, spreading God's love all over the yard. We're going to get, be good members of the household of God and lovers of this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his best, didn't he? Jesus said, though, in the end times, in Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness is increased. Does anybody know who's called the man of lawlessness in the Bible? The Antichrist. He's working for the devil. And the devil wants to make sure that lawlessness is increased. He wants us to defund the police. He don't want there to be any police at all. He don't want there to be any rules. Just do it if it feels good. And because lawlessness is increased, the love of most people will grow cold. Most people? We're going to look out and we're going to see that this world is in bad shape. There's no justice. The law isn't applied equally. If there's a law at all, just go in and take what you want off the shelf. Lawlessness. And that stirs up the sense of justice in the average person. And it's like, I don't love no more. I don't love this. I'm not loving it. I'm not feeling it. I'm mad. I want to get somebody. And the love of most people will grow cold. Now, when Jesus said this, it's in red. When Jesus said this, I wonder if he thought to himself, that would include most of my church. I wonder if he's thinking, the people that have my spirit on the inside of them's love's going to grow cold too. That would be strange. That'd be a weird thought, wouldn't it? That the people with the love of God, love would grow cold. That's a... I'm being facetious. The temptation is to let your love grow cold. And the devil is here to dampen the love of the church, because love is like kryptonite to the devil's plans. He knows he can accomplish nothing if the church is loving. 
If we were loving right now, it wouldn't be so lawless. If we were loving, the world wouldn't be running from the church. They'd be running to the church. The devil is constantly sowing seeds of division and hatred, and we know that. We talk about that all the time. We ain't ignorant to the devil's devices. He's got a plan, but we can't be part of his plan. What plan? What? You want plan A or plan B? God's plan is plan A. He don't have a plan B. That, the plan B is the devil's plan. God's plan is love. And that's it. But the devil is working. And he works in sneaky ways. He's tricky. He would have Christians feel like they're doing right by having disdain for sinners. He would have Christians feeling like they're holy for hating sinners. But they're missing a part of the equation. Yes, we're to hate what God hates, but God hates sin. But God so loved the world. And if we remember it wasn't so very long ago, we was part of the world too. But for the grace of God, there go I. And how head-scratching that must be to Jesus that he gave us his love when we didn't deserve it. He forgave us when we didn't even ask for it. And then we turn around and lay this heavy load on other people that are just, just lost. They just don't know. And the devil's sitting back laughing. The devil is sitting back laughing at the church. Michael Hoodman said, Hatred is a poison that destroys us from within, producing bitterness. You got to ask yourself are you growing bitter? I mean, I know the temptation's there. I have to fight against it too. The temptation is to grow bitter from within. To step over into hatred instead of love. But it eats away, he says, at our hearts and our minds. And that is why the scriptures tell us not to let a root of bitterness spring up in our hearts. And I see a lot of true men and women of God who have made the decision to stay off social media and not watch the news for that very simple fact. Because they're just mouthpieces for the devil, sowing seeds of discord and hatred. Now, I know some of you feel called to minister on social media and those sort of things. I'm, you have to make that decision for yourself. If God calls you there, there needs to be a presence there. I, I agree with that. But I'm saying, if you can't handle it, if every time you turn on the news, there's steam coming out of your ears, and you hate 51.6% of the population, then you're feeding on the wrong source. Maybe get, my, maybe get your Bible out instead. Let a little light come in. Let a little love shine in your heart. A University of Michigan study says that young people today are 40% less compassionate than they were in the 1980s. That's almost half. They've lost half of their compassion. And why do you suppose that is? Because they stay on them zombie makers. They won't even look you in the eye. They don't know how. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. <laughs> you, you go into a fast food restaurant, and you bring your tea to get a refill, and like six people turn and walk off from behind the counter. 
I don't know if it's that they're that lazy or that they just don't want to make eye contact. But you know what? It was our responsibility to raise the kids. So why are we blaming them? We put the zombie maker in their hand. And we're blaming them because they're overwhelmed and desensitized. You remember how you cried the first time you saw on TV when you had, back when you had three channels? And they showed the little kid from Africa with the flies buzzing around. He's malnourished. And they had the sad music on. Or when you saw the, the kids at uh, the cancer center, what's it called? St. Jude's. But now, it's like we just flip off, flip off. I ain't watching that, watching that. I've seen that before. Boom, 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 boom. Information overload. And it has desensitized us, and we're losing our compassion. It's because we see too much. We see, just, a, just 50 years ago, people sat on their front porch for entertainment. And that was it. I mean, a hundred years ago, I mean, they didn't. They'd have a hoedown once a month or something. That'd be about it. Some of y'all having a hoedown all night, every night. <laughs> but you know, I'm just, I'm just going off, Joe. <laughs> I love ice cream. I don't know where this is coming from. I love me some ice cream, man. I, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can eat ice cream without gaining weight. Come on, come on. <laughs> but you know if I eat ice cream all day, every day, I ain't going to appreciate ice cream no more. And I talk to my son and I talk to other young Christians and they say, I wish I wouldn't have been born in this generation. I wish you, I would have been born in a simple time where I could ask a girl to go to the prom and it would actually be a girl. I'm just making this stuff up. Y'all have to forgive me. I'm coming off the cuff today. We all complain that our lives is overwhelmed, but we're responsible for the minutes that we've been given each day. I'm telling you, you can make some changes to your life. If you're overwhelmed, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. That's what I'm getting at. We're confused about what compassion is today. We think if we, we click the like button, we're showing compassion. Somebody says, my dad passed away today and we hit the like button. What does that mean? I like that your dad passed away? No, like means something totally different. There's a whole different vocabulary that we have to learn today. Oh, we say, well, I'll type them. So I'll take three seconds and type them something. Sending thoughts and prayers. Is that compassion? It's, it's better than most. But that's where we are. Jesus said, I know, I know it wasn't Jesus, it was James in the Bible. He said, be warm and be fed, you know. Is that compassion without Actually go and give them a hug and bring them some food. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm just saying this. Take it for what you want, but your life could be more abundant. Mine too. And even if the world, when they say, no, I don't, I, I don't need your help with the flat tire, you still have the peace to know you tried. And those times that you get to help somebody... You're being like Jesus and you're doing it for Jesus when you help the least of these. Titus 3, 
verse 3, says, We ourselves were also once foolish. Now I'm back to the part where we, we're mad at the world, right? We're angry at sinners, you know. But we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. In other words, we were sinners too. We lived in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, say but. I love when God sneaks his butt in there. But when the kindness and the love of God, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, we already said, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, we're different now. We've been regenerated. We've been renewed. We've been given the Holy Spirit who sheds what abroad in our hearts? The love of God. We don't have an excuse when we stand before Jesus if we hogged all this love. I'm just saying. God's plan is to bring all people together through the power of his love. It's the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. 1 John 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Let me read that last part again. For, for maybe somebody's here and thinking that they're a child of God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Is your heart full of hatred, bitterness, anger? Let me introduce you to somebody today. Because my God is love. But you say, I, I can't love these people. They hate me. They're persecuting me. They're talking bad about me. Well, how do I do it? How do I do it? You just keep looking to the cross. You just think about how Jesus endured the cross. He said, when you see me high and lifted up, it'll draw, draw you. It'll draw everybody. If we just consider the cross for a moment. If we see that how he was up there, though, the first words out of his mouth, Father, forgive him. What kind of crazy love is that? They just nailed the man to the cross. He says, Father, forgive him. He's not reeling back. He's not trying to get even. He's already... Became one of us. He left his majesty in heaven to, to become one of us. And now we're crucifying the Lord of glory. And his first words are, Father, forgive them. It says, Jesus, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through me might be saved. That is his entire heart. And when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. You think you're being persecuted. They hated him. The church people hated him. The religious folks hated him. They wanted him dead. It wasn't enough for them to take him and, and kill him. They wanted the Romans to do it because they had developed a deeper form of torture to do it. They wanted him to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
And when you think about the hostility against sinners against himself, it says, do that lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. The things that we're suffering are light compared to what Jesus suffered. And he loved. And that same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead raised you from the dead. That same love that he operated has been given to you. You can do it. You can do it. We can love this world. We can, when they're spitting on us and calling us all manner of names, we can go... Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm doing it for you, Lord. Help me, Lord. Yes, Lord. Help me, Lord. We got to remember our why. Why do we do anything that we do as Christians? Because we love God. We love his people. And we love his purposes. We love his people, which is our brothers and sisters, but we love his purposes, which is the world. You see what I'm saying? you got to remind yourself of your why. Always got to remind. Because if you don't remember your why, you, you lose sight of your why, then you just lose sight of your purpose and you just, you're just floating along. Tossed about by every wind and wave. And that's no way to live. God's people are called to live intentionally. God's people are called to live on purpose. Amen? This is good preaching today. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're about to close. I just want to encourage you guys so much. God loves you so much. 1 John 4. We'll start in verse 9. God shows how much he loved us by sending his one and only son. That's unimaginable. Can't say that I could do that. He showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Real love is not be warm and be fed. Real love costs. Real love requires sacrifice. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What if we could help the world to come out of sin? What if our love could play a part in somebody's changing somebody's eternal destiny? That's what we need to keep before us. It's not our love, it's God's love in us. We can't do it in our own strength. And so why do we come to church? Why do we read our Bible? Why do we pray and have times of meditation and listen for the Lord's voice? Why do we worship? Why do we do the things that Christians do? It is, they are all, say, avenues. All these things are avenues, they're roads that lead to Jesus, and Jesus is the love. And how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And if you're walking with Jesus, you'll love like Jesus. It is so funny how many sides of this mountain there is. I can preach about this, I can preach about that, I can preach about something else, but all roads are leading to the same thing. Develop your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that, the love of God. It's His love, remember? Not that we love, but that He loved us. And then when we get weary and and downtrodden, and think, man, I can't keep going on, I can't doing this, then we look to the cross. And remember that he didn't stop halfway up the mountain to Calvary. That he didn't get one hand nailed, so oh, that's enough. Here's the other. 
He went the whole way. And we, this life, this sliver of time that we get here on earth is our life. This is our only chance to operate in faith. Because when we get there, we'll be known as we are already known. We will know as we are already known. When we get there, we won't need faith. We will see it face to face. We won't need hope. Our hope will be sitting right in front of us. This is our time. The time is now for us to operate in this love. If not now, when? What are you waiting on? What do you have to get ready to get to? to well, I got to get myself together. Well, Good luck with that. That's that's the right response. You are never more together than when you're with Jesus Christ. In Him. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. God showed us how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world. Verse 11 says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely, (laughs) we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. You are never more like Jesus when you love than when you love. If we love each other, we're like Jesus. And we're talking about how to live out our faith in a hostile world. We got to do it with the full expression of God's love in us. We won't survive hating. Hating is sin. Sin, the wages of sin is death. And it's all leading to darkness. We can't overcome darkness with more darkness. We can't overcome love, uh, hate, with, but with love. What does love look like? Love looks like Troy sitting here. Who drives all the way from Bartlett twice a week to minister to you on the drums. Love looks like Terry and Patricia getting here 9 o'clock something in the morning on Sundays to take that sign to the street, then go take it back and giving rides to people who need rides to church. For the picnic, they were coming all the way to Hernando before they came, you know, just going to different towns to pick up people to bring them to the picnic last week. Love looks like Mary McCall over there bringing her friend Mary to church. Until she gets her ride back. There's so many expressions of love in the household of God. Which one of y'all could say that Thomas isn't a blessing to this church? I mean, the man, look at him sneaking down, hiding behind the booth. He's, <laughs> he is all the time looking for ways to bless somebody. You know, since I've been pastor, I've had a few people, I've had a lot of people really bless me, but, but I never had anybody say, Pastor, do you need me to take that podcast off your hands so you don't have to stay here all day on Sundays? He's willing to stay through lunch to do the podcast for me. He's willing to cut the air conditioning units back to where they're supposed to be before we leave and close the building down for me. I mean... He's willing to help. And and you know why? Not for accolades. He's trying to hide from the accolades. Because he does it for Jesus. And that's what makes him fulfilled. Joe, you and Megan. You know, many times they take two cars all the way from Olive Branch so that they can give rides to the youth. To our youth leaders and to their youth services at the church sometimes and here on Sundays. 
That's love. You say, what does love look like? That's what love looks like. You want to know what love looks like? Nicholas over here. At great possible He ministers in the public school the name of Jesus. With a great threat to his livelihood, he puts himself in danger doing that. But he has changed the entire school. His love for Jesus and his love for those teenagers. Jesus said, don't just invite those to the dinner that can invite you back. He said, don't just help those who can help you back. But help those that you're never going to get anything from. Because when you did it to the least of these, you had done it to me. Let me ask you, if you were walking that road one day praying, and you saw Jesus broke down on the side of the road, would you wait and say, well, I don't know, he might, he might have... He might be calling roadside assistance now. He probably don't need my help. You know, it'd be socially awkward for me to say something to him. No, we would run to help Jesus, wouldn't we? Why would you, why would you run to help Jesus? Because you love Jesus. You love Jesus with your whole heart. But Jesus is trying to get us to see when you do it to the least of these, you are doing it to me. You want to love me? Then love my people. You want to love me? Leave the 99 and go find the one. Amen? How do you put a crack in Roman armor? He said, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I was thinking about that Roman soldier that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. And there was that earthquake and he said, surely this was the Son of God. But wait a minute. I wonder if this was one of those Roman soldiers that tied him to the whipping post and was laying him open with that lead-tipped whip. Because you see, they would recruit the most ruthless Wicked people that they could. Twisted individuals. Because they had the, they're the ones that invented crucifixion. For the express purpose of putting as much pain and agony into somebody's life for the longest amount of time while they suffered. That's why they invented cru crucifixion. It was not just simply to kill somebody. They could kill them quick. But they wanted them to suffer. These were demented folk. The people that they would have scourge them and lay their backs open and laugh. I wonder if he was the one that twisted that crown of thorns and put it down on his head. And then mocked him and said, Hail the king of the Jews. And then slapped him in the face and took the reed and hit him on the head with it. I wonder if he was that guy. Probably. He was probably the same contingent that, that watched him Labor to carry that cross up Calvary and mocked him the whole way. Pulled his beard out and spit on him. He's probably getting his jollies watching all this. That's the kind of person he was. There was not an ounce of love in this man more than likely. But what have put a crack in that Roman armor, I wonder. When Jesus said from the cross... I thirst. I wonder if this was the man that got his spear and stuck it into a, a sponge and filled it with vinegar and said, here, get you some of this. It was probably the vinegar that they wiped their hands, cleaned their hands and got the blood off of them after they crucified somebody and tried to put it up to his lips and make him drink it when his lips was probably cracked and bleeding. Face swollen, unrecognizable as a human. Man, that doesn't sound like a guy with any 
compassion. Any ability to feel. And maybe you know people like that. You think there ain't no hope. And I imagine there's somebody that could testify that I was that person at one time. There's no hope for that fella. There's nothing that can crack his armor. He's too far gone. God doesn't say God can't save people like that. But I wonder when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive him. I wonder if it was the same thing that cracked the armor of the thief on the cross next to him that was railing on him at first but then changed his mind. I wonder if it was just standing in the presence of love of God Almighty that cracked the armor. And we must be armor crackers. We must see ourselves as wielding the same power that can change something nothing else in the world could possibly change. This man would have stood up to anybody. If you threatened him with nuclear weapons, they don't scare me. But the love of God made him confess that surely this is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now about a faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And love requires a decision, doesn't it? I'm encouraging you as believers to make that decision. As for me and my house, we have decided to follow after love. And guess what? When I'm a butthead and I don't love right, I ask for forgiveness. And I press in harder next time. But I have decided that that is who I am. That is who I am to be. That is who I'm called to be. So when I feel overwhelmed, desensitized, feel a, a propensity to hate on a group of people, to take the bait from the devil, what I must do? I must go back to my original decision. I have decided to follow love. And I'd have never made that decision if I hadn't decided to make love the Lord of my life. So I'm asking you, do you need to make a decision today? Is there anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If I was to ask you if you died, would you go to heaven? You'd say, I hope so. Look, that's not the answer that you need to be sticking with. You can know so. Because love hung on that cross for you. And if you don't know your sins are forgiven, then you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because it's by faith in believing that Jesus saved you from your sins that you know that you have eternal life. If you don't know you're going to heaven, then you don't have the faith that it took to get saved from hell. So I'm telling you today, why would you run from this love? This love is the greatest thing that you will ever, ever, ever experience. That is what heaven is made of. People talk about the streets of gold and the one-pearled gates and, and the glorious diamonds and, and all the, thing, the material substance of heaven. Heaven is made out of love. And it's filled with people of love. And you don't have to hate. You don't have to go down that spiral of of desensitized, mad, and, and bitter, you can be free. You can begin to make a difference and your life can live, be lived more abundantly. Come to Christ. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me, that your love was poured out for me and that you will fill me with your spirit, a gentle spirit, a loving, kind spirit, and the love of God that is the greatest force in all of the world. I, I choose you, Jesus. I have decided to follow love. 
Say in Jesus' name if you believe that. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.